Hi, I'm Bjorn Roberts. I'm Jess Fishlock. This is Owen Singer-Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Holy Delivery Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another Coleman Had a Dream podcast. We are here to talk to you about the World Cup qualifiers draw. We're going to do a little bit on the Wales women as well, plus a quick roundup of the Welsh teams playing in the English leagues as we have not talked about them for a while. Um, I'm here as ever with Ruth. How are you, Ruth? Morning. Doing all right. Continuing to hide in the Oregon Hills, which I think about the best as anyone can hope for at the minute. You make it sound like it's the like a, a plot of a, of a of a weird movie when you say it like that, like you've done a bank it, robbery. It does feel like it. It's like it's, <laughs> we're about as far up a one way track as you can imagine. Before anyone calls the police, Ruth has not committed a robbery. Um, she <laughs> she's just hiding from the rest of the world. I think, uh, as is probably sensible at the moment. Um, obviously, we're going to talk about the. The draw, we're hoping as we are recording this on Tuesday evening that the fixtures and the match days are going to be released as we're talking to you. So we're hoping that is going to come out. Um, Obviously, Ruth, we've got Belgium as the first seeds, ourselves, the Czech Republic, Belarus and Estonia. Um, On first reflection, just from a, a football perspective, what were your thoughts when you saw the draw? I mean, you have to smile when we get Belgium again. Uh, I mean, but equally, of of the teams we've been drawing lately and the ones that seem to keep coming out of the pot, I think it's um, certainly better than getting the Republic of Ireland again. Um, So it's 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 your typical group, really, isn't it, of there's a big hitter. We are the second seeds. We, you know, even... We look like the second season in that group. Is we look exactly as we should, and then you've just got the the, the various strays at the other end. I think ultimately the fact that it's um, a five team rather than the six team group might actually be the best thing to have come out of that for us. Um, I know it swings and roundabouts on that. In you know in the in the sense that when you're playing two games in a a six-team group, the two games represent two in ten, whereas in our group it's going to represent two in eight. You know, so there are swings and roundabouts, but I do feel not having to do three competitive games in a week is a plus for us overall. So I think that was really what I've taken from it, uh, is is that five rather than six-team group. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think the five rather than the six is obviously a downside in a way in that we want to see Wales play as often as we can. But I think in in the circumstances we're in, the possibility of the competitive treble headers, and I know we'll have to play a friendly in that time, but we can put anyone out in those games, really. I think that is definitely a bonus. I think the teams around us, I would say, of the Czech Republic could have been better, but equally could have been much, much worse. I think there were when that pot was kind of being read out, there were a few tricky teams there. Um, and then Belarus and Estonia are kind of much of a muchness. I felt like as long as we avoided um, either a long-haul trip or a trip to Bosnia, who were in the fourth pot, which I was obviously really surprised at, um, that was all that was kind of mattered about the other ones. So I think ultimately... 
when I first saw it, my first reaction was kind of happy. I felt like we had a chance against the Belgians because we always do. Um, I felt like the Czech Republic lost twice to Scotland in the Nations League. Yes, they won their group, but you know it wasn't exactly a tough group. And they still lost to Scotland twice. Um, and the Belarusians and the Estonians are, are kind of much of a muchness. We obviously we played Belarus recently. So I was kind of glad when it came out. Ultimately, um, the trips are the, are the first thing that a lot of my pals were texting me about. I think Prague, Tallinn, Minsk and Brussels. I think if you were going to organise... If you're going to organise a four-city piss-up, I think <laughs> I think you probably would have chosen a few of those. I, I got a, a text off my friend, which I will not re- repeat fully, where he said, it's as if they have said to Wales fans, right, lads, you can go three places for 20p a pint and we'll chuck in, we'll chuck in Brussels just in case you've got some posh lads who want to go with you on the trip. Uh, and I thought that was a perfect summary of it all, to be honest. <laughs> I do think you're right about the... Missing the long haul. I mean, I, I think it's good that we haven't got a Kazakhstan or a Moldova or something in here. Um, the political situation in Belarus is, is a worry. I think, you know, the, the near daily protests in Minsk and things might make that perhaps not the trip that people would want it to be. Um, obviously, we're going to have to see what's happening nearer, uh, nearer whatever date these games happen and and whether things have have settled down um i think it'd be really interesting if we end up with a double header away in estonia and and belarus because they're they're only 500 less than 500 miles apart so that that could be quite a weekend potentially if those end up together yeah i fancy that um (laughs) (laughs) i i agree with you i mean i think we got lucky that um we ended up with Belarus in that fourth group, didn't we? There was some shenanigans that got them bumped down to bumped yeah. down to um, our our group. So so that was uh, that was pleasing. But like you say, I think we we should be the second team in that group, and then it's can we do anything to make ourselves better than the second team in that group? Um, as a little aside, one of the things I found interesting was that the Czechs have a vested interest in how we do because they are third in line for this Nations League playoff place. So obviously we're all get, we're all assuming that Belgium, Italy, Spain and France are, are going to qualify however they qualify and that we and Austria are, are one and two for those Nation League places. But the Czechs are third in line for that place. And so they have a vested interest. If it comes to it, they have a vested interest in us being first or second in this group, along with Belgium, so that they can grab the Nations League spot. And I do find it interesting with all the combinations that UEFA stop happening, whether it's weather or distance or politics, that they've let two teams with vested interests in each other's performances into the same group. It's interesting that as well because I've, I've looked, I've looked at that, and I and I was going to say the same thing actually. Um, I'm I'm quite surprised that that's been allowed to happen, and I do think that is something that might change next time around. Although it would, yeah. may end up a situation which is possibly why they haven't done it this way, where 
a lot of the groups would probably already be decided as a consequence of that once you've drawn the first pot, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I guess that by the time you've chucked another variant that they decide into this between weather, politics, Nations League, whatever else, long hauls, they said there's only allowed to be one long haul. And by the time you've done that, I think it's a bit of a jumble. What I also find interesting about what you said there is that France, Italy and Spain, the next kind of teams that are in those teams group don't actually hit at all in the rest of the pots. So it's interesting that Belgium, Wales and the Czech Republic are all in the same group, but France are in D and looking at what I've got here, no one else in D was was a group winner from the Nations League. No one else from C, which is Italy's, was a group winner from the Nations League and same for Spain as well. So I, I did find that quite interesting, actually, that there's three of us in the same pot, but from the others, there's only one, possibly two. But by the time the two are there, you're looking at your pharaohs, Gibraltars, Armenia, stuff like that. So <laughs> I, I did find that quite interesting. Um, before we get too far down what I fear may be <laughs> a sort of rabbit hole, um, I did just want to have a quick chat about the other two teams before we look at ourselves, the Czech Republic and uh, and the Belgians. Mm-hmm. Um, because... At first, I think Belarus, I was pretty happy about that. Um, Obviously, we beat them recently in the friendly. They didn't look too threatening in that game. Um, But the game could be like a bit of a banana skin. They came second behind Albania in the Nations League group. And, I, you know, looking at their results, I'd say they're a bit inconsistent. But they, you know, they tend to win or lose. They don't draw many. Um, Equally, their kind of Euros uh, qualifying pot was tough. They had the the Dutch and the Germans in the same pot. So it's a bit tough to take much from their kind of recent form. But I do think they are a team that we may have to be a little bit more wary of than we think. It it won't necessarily be an automatic six points, I think. I think you're right. I don't think we can ever assume that there's an automatic six points against against any of these teams because increasingly even the lower ranked teams are very organized and very hard to break down and you you do, you just need a couple of bounces and perhaps a referee that's not hot on the particular day and you know and these can be such grinding out type um type games away you know a cold wednesday evening in minsk and you know it's just yuck isn't it um, it's a step up from a cold tuesday in stoke to a to a cold wednesday <laughs> in minsk i think <laughs> uh so i agree with you i mean there's you can never assume anything and i think as football in particularly these old soviet union countries has become more professional and more organized and, and developed that it would be silly to assume that any of these games are going to be uh, easy ones yeah, I mean, I think the Estonians, I, I do think, is is obviously perhaps a slight exception there. I think, obviously, they've struggled. They came bottom of their Nations League group um, against Armenia, North Macedonia and Georgia. So I guess not the easiest group, but, I mean, we should be obviously looking to, to take six points. And the last time they won a game by my best research was November 2018. So that is one that we have to take, obviously, six points from. Um moving up the pots to I guess where we kind of want to spend most of our time talking today is is the checks um I have a great fun fact for you um and and then I will stop talking the last time that the Czech Republic drew a game 
was against Northern Ireland in 2016. <laughs> Good grief. That is a fun fact. It is a fun fact. <laughs> isn't it? Look at me being useful. I was, quite, I was quite happy with that when I came across that. Um, I mean, they are quite a workmanlike side, but I, I, I would say that especially compared to the other pop three teams, we've, we've probably got the beating of them on our day. I would agree. I mean, they, like we've discussed, they did win their Group B Nations League. League. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but that was with 12 points and, two, and two, as you've mentioned, two losses against, against the Scots, although they beat Slovakia and Israel home and away. So they've clearly on their day, I think they can take on most teams, you know, in the kind of 15 to 20 ranking points above them. Um, and, you know, we we would only have to have a day where we have a couple of key injuries in a particular squad and, and, and suddenly we might be chasing our tail. But as you said, it's def- that's, I think those are the key games, really, um, because Belgium are Belgium. And... Um, where we could win or lose our kind of position within the league, within the group, is in these Czech games, I think. They also, I was looking just from a practical point of view, they've used a lot of different venues for their games. They've played in Pilsen and Olomouc and, and Prague and Ostrava all within the last few years. So I think we've all been assuming it would be a trip to Prague, but it, it might not necessarily be uh, be a trip to Prague. Yeah, it's an interesting one that. I was thinking about that because you'd imagine they'd have Prague for the biggest game, which will likely be against um, the, the Belgians in terms of perhaps drawing a crowd. But it'll be interesting because I'd imagine that they'll one of their big features of moving these around, looking at the, the size of the ground and obviously the percentage of the ground they have to give up to away fans, is we could be in a situation where there could be, you know, less than 500 fans in the ground depending on which one of those they choose 500 Wales fans obviously mm. um, which which might be kind of part of their tactic if you like is to move to these slightly smaller grounds still have a good home following but obviously a fairly minimal away following so I wonder if that'll be kind of part of their part of their logic uh, I agree with a lot of you said about the, about the team and the, what they're capable of I think it was an interesting thing I saw about the squad as well. They've got kind of a real rotating squad. They've used quite a lot of players in the last few years. Not many kind of experienced players there. I think uh, there's only three players who have more than 30 caps in the current squad. A lot of Czech-based players. Um, and, you know, they're not high scorers. I think the top scorers in the squad are, are both with nine. Um, Krimenik and Schick which is, I'm sure, how the uh, how the Czechs pronounce it. Um, but they do have people like Suchek and Kufal, who both play for West Ham, and um, Vidra, of course, who plays for Burnley as their kind of main striking threat. So there are there is, you know, a relative relative amount of, of depth there to an extent, obviously, um, which I think is is interesting. But they are they're not kind of a flair team. They are to an extent very similar to us, I think. Obviously, we do have a bit more flair than them, but that kind of the grinding element to them is certainly their kind of key uh, strength, I guess you'd say. Yeah, no, you look at how they played against Slovakia and Israel in the in the games that they won, and they, they, there was there was no kind of dominance; they just ground out 
four good victories there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we were all delighted to be avoid Northern Ireland, but I, uh, Republic of Ireland, sorry, but I think that this this fixture will be very similar to that. You know, I think it's going to be two dull games. I appreciate we get to potentially go to Prague rather than Dublin again, but um, those two key games, I think, will not be crackers, I think it's safe to say. But I think the good thing is, because of what they have, I think it's the sort of thing we, you know, we do tend to miss players through injury every now and again, and I feel like missing a couple of players against a team like that compared to a Norway, let's say, who have a star player or two, I think kind of, I don't want to say bodes in our favour, but I, I think gives us a bit more of a uh, a safety net, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think I would take our workman-like team over their workman-like oh, team. Yeah. Um, assuming that we were missing some of our flair players, I still think we've got a better workman-like team yeah no i would i would agree with that i think um it's 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 kind of a weird one i guess uh, moving on to talking about the belgians in the same breath but the the twin there's an there, there's uh, there's certainly a line of thinking there where the games against the czech republic kind of don't matter really <laughs> if we if we if we don't win the group then it ultimately doesn't matter if we come second or third because in in winning the group that's one more playoff place slipping down the line which would obviously go to us in that instance so we're in this kind of bizarre circumstance where we could end up coming fourth (laughs) but as long as Belgium win the group as we go or come second then everything else doesn't matter which is a a kind of weird mindset and I, I do want to come to the mindset and the bigger picture side of things in a bit but just to look at the Belgians I guess really we would like or I would anyway, like them to be our first two games, home and away, double header, and then we know where we are for that for the rest of the group. <laughs> really, you know, it, it is kind of as simple as that. You know, am I kind of oversimplifying that a bit? Um, I can I can see the merit in just getting them out of the way. I suppose in that sense, although I don't think it would help us going forward to be in a position where we're already treating the games as meaningless games. But do you not I think, think though? I if, think we, we are better for being in competitive games. Uh, so I, I, that would be my concern about perhaps facing base Belgium, perhaps having two games down and no points and kind of thinking, well, what's it matter now kind of thing. Equally, do you not think though that, they, that there would be the argument there to kind of blood players and prepare them for again, to build our squad a little bit, get some of the younger players in and, and, and kind of build the squad. I mean, we're obviously talking a big if already here, but um, I, I just, and it, but by the same token, I, I would imagine it would be hard to, to, to kind of change the mindset of the players, knowing potentially early on that the it, what you do from here on in ultimately doesn't matter. Like, again, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but, you know, you look at the reality of the situation. Belgium, obviously one of the best teams in the world. They've lost three games since we beat them at the Euros um, which is a staggering statistic almost as ridiculous as the the Czechs only drawing once um, but I, I, that is an amazing statistic and I am going to steal something that I saw from Hugh Davis on Twitter in their last qualifying campaigns their last four qualifying campaigns they've played 40 won 34 drawn five lost one Obviously, the the lost one and one of the draws was against Wales, which is great. Um, 
the goal difference <laughs> this is mental the goal difference <laughs> is against in 40 games is 18 the four <laughs> to give them a goal difference of plus 107 they've scored 125 goals in 40 games that is insane <laughs> Frightening, isn't it? It's actually really frightening. That's ridiculous. And I, I would, I would, I would almost <laughs> err on the side of saying it's not unfair a bit. Can they? They have to have all of their best. Can they not just like? Can we have some sort of rotation rule where De Bruyne sits out or something? That would be nice. Um, I, I think the thing for them is, I mean, you know, all jokes aside, I say it's not even a joke aside, is it? It's just, just truth aside. Um, obviously, they've got an amazing squad, a deep squad. They've got a ridiculous number of flair players they keep the ball so well i do think they are a little bit vulnerable defensively as we as we kind of find out found out sorry i mean you know england beat them they conceded one of the losses was a 5-2 i think loss to switzerland which again as i, I appreciate is a bit of a freak result but they do have that in them and if they have that bad day as we have the good day i think the reality is my my point that i was getting that before i almost brought us both to tears is that we the goal difference against them, let's say we drew both games, they're going to absolutely hammer the goal difference. So, you know, in terms of how we approach the group, we actually have to aim, we need to win one of those games because I think if we draw twice, then they're going to hammer us on goal difference elsewhere. So I, I, I do think that, you know, that the mindset and the impact that that will have further down the line, let's say we play Belgium first and lose the game, the chances of us then beating them and then outscoring them based on those statistics you'd have to say is is fairly slim yeah yeah I mean I I don't think we can as well as we've played against them and as good as a track record we have against them that particular bubble is you know I feel like we've 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 lived and leached everything we can out of that <laughs> particular bubble, <laughs> so everything's going to come crashing down. Yeah. Um, one of the sort of weird things about the way the groups are set up is because Belgium will end up playing in the Nations League finals. Is that the term? You know, where the four the four we'll, we'll group say, winners we'll get say together. Yes, yeah. Yeah, they, they are playing in those games in October of next year, which means that that window is off the schedule for them for these World Cup qualifying games. So all of their qualifying games are going to fall in March, September and November. So they're going to end up with three competitive games in March and three in September, whereas everyone else in the group just has two in those windows. And I think it will be interesting to see if that actually makes a difference, whether because they've got three, they do a little bit of rotation, which, I mean, they're so good, it might not matter. But, you know, whether we can benefit in some way from from that. Yeah, um, I think if it falls our way, I think that we're, we're definitely capable of that. And I think that is one of the benefits of the of the five team, five team group, sorry, from our perspective, is that they will be forced to play three competitive games and we're obviously not in that window. Yeah. The other thing that I was looking a little bit into how the playoffs themselves will work and where the nations, the two teams coming from the Nations League will fit in. And... 
the two teams coming from the Nations League will definitely get away fixtures in the semi-finals of right. those mini pots. So the the six teams that will be playing at home are going to be the six teams that finish best out of the ten teams that finish second in the World Cup qualifying groups. Uh, Am I making it any sense? No, I'm with you. I'm just laughing because I feel like all of us previously, the teams who came first won, the team who came second <laughs> did a two-legged qualifier, and that was it. You just went to the pub, you got pissed, and you supported your team. <laughs> now you need a you know an astrophysics degree to be able to understand <laughs> how you can even qualify. Carry on, sorry. So it is in our interest to be in the top six of those second place teams in the World, Qualify, World Cup qualifying groups, because then we will get a home tie for the semi-final. It's the one advantage I can see of qualifying through the World Cup groups as opposed to qualifying through the Nations League. I mean, that's a thanks I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to sound uh, 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 like a dick I, I, I just don't know it's just such a weird scenario isn't it I I can't kind of I can't put my finger on what I think I think the best plan is I do just have to take one slight step backwards there actually because I've just seen a response uh, to the stat on Twitter We're, I'm refreshing waiting for the uh, <laughs> fixtures to hopefully turn up and the puzzle company at 7puzzle on Twitter has just responded to Hugh Davis's tweet about the goal difference and everything else with a very valid point um, we've only lost four qualifying games since September 2013 which is Bosnia Republic of Ireland, Croatia and Hungary and including the Nations League we've only lost six out of our last 40 games which was Denmark home and away. So I suppose whilst we've not been playing your Frances of the world like the Belgians have that is still, you know, I I, I don't know the goal difference and I'm going to guess it's not plus 107 but (laughs) But I, I suppose when you look at it from that from that perspective, there is there is more than a glimmer of hope there. I suppose. Oh, there has to be, as we've as we've demonstrated repeatedly over the over the last few years and the last qualifiers and and in the Euros, we are capable of beating them. Um, I, I you know I just feel like the chances of that are, are narrowing and and you know, but perhaps because. It is going to be in our interest to go for it in those games. Maybe that will help us. You know, the the, the way that in the in the quarterfinal there was nothing to lose, and we went for it and it and it worked out. You know, may, it, maybe if we are approaching these games like that, that that will help. Um, but yeah, I think. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I do. They. It doesn't feel like the usual morning after the World Cup draw, does it? Because we've got this strange second place position already in a weird way. And and so that kind of changes your... I don't think it kind of changes your mindset. I think it does change your mindset. Um, And it will be really interesting, actually, to see how it plays out for, for us and for Austria. I do wonder if that this might give everyone in our group, I say everyone, sorry, ourselves, the Belgians and the Czechs, I wonder if it may open things up and we may have quite an exciting group, again, that being the flip side of the coin, where we know we've 
not got to have a go at Belgium, but, you know, realistically, we've got to have a bit of a go at them. The Czechs have got nothing to lose so long as they come third in the group. So they may have a similar sort of approach of let's go and have a have a go at these, give them a bit of a game and see and see what happens. Because the worst that can happen for them is as long as they beat Belarus and Estonia, or in fact don't lose those games, they're likely going to come third. And with that gives them a chance of, a very good chance in fact, of, of getting into the playoffs anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder if that may kind of change the dynamic of, of the group in a positive way and it kind of opens up the group teams having to go at each other people don't need to be kind of workmanlike and can you know i'm not saying we're going to have a load of five four thrillers but i mean you know maybe kind of throw the doors open a little bit and we kind of have some sort of open attack in football because teams know that if they as long as they don't lose the other two games what they what they do against the belgians and the welsh or you know whichever combination of those you want sort of doesn't matter so i wonder if that might have a bit of a, an effect on the way things work yeah, I don't, I don't think we can ignore that. You've got three teams which, irrespective really of who finishes first, second and third, have the potential of getting at least a playoff place. And so you know, at that point, you might as well roll the dice and, and go for it, I suppose, mightn't you? Yeah, exactly. I think that's the that's the flip side of all of this, that it does make things a bit more open. Um, and I do think as a consequence of that, the order that we play the games in, avoiding triple headers, that sort of thing will be a massive, massive bonus for whoever doesn't have that. Because there is a chance that, I mean, I think the Belgians are guaranteed two triple headers. I think there's a 50-50 chance we'll have one and a 50-50 chance we'll have none. So in an ideal world, the Belgians get two double headers we get none and you know again ideally we'd play the belgians at the end of the of the window where they've got a triple header so uh, it's uh that i think will probably decide how we approach those games in terms of how attacking we are and in terms of what we try and take from them no i think i think you're right i think if you know if we get through the march window and we've already lost two games to belgium then that may well change our perspective quite, quite a lot yeah, I, I I agree. It's uh, yeah, it's interesting, and I you know I, I say it doesn't matter. I, I I've obviously been a bit facetious there. It does matter. I'm obviously excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm certainly planning um, to go on some trips. I'm hopefully going to see if Ruth can you know make that the short hop from Oregon across here. Um, but uh, obviously Brussels is two hours by car from from where we live now, so that'll be great. Everything else is about a two hour flight away. So again fixtures permitting i'm i'm hoping to to get to a few of these games this year do you reckon do you reckon i'm going to be able to twist your arm ruth i think we'll just have to see what state the world's in dave <laughs> that is like when you ask when you were a kid and you ask your mum can i have a packet of sweets and she says <laughs> we'll see um, <laughs> which which is code for absolutely no chance mate um to to have a change of tack uh, ever so slightly Still talking about qualifiers, but uh, women's qualifiers. It's um, it was a bit of a heartbreaker in the end, wasn't it? The bloody Pharaohs gave us some false hope uh, by going one nil up, and then one one, and even uh, got getting to half time. I think it was two one, so there was still that little glimmer they could nick something. Um, obviously, the Northern Irish ran out five one winners. 
I don't want to go too in-depth because I'm hoping we're going to be able to do a uh, a full pod about this, but I do think it's worth mentioning. I mean, the the margins are, are so fine for them, aren't they? And it, you know, I know we say this a lot, it seems, about the women's game, but your heart just breaks with them. It's, again, just the fine margins are so are so tough to take. It's actually really hard to look at that table because it it looks like the wrong team is in third and the wrong team <laughs> is in second, doesn't it? When you just yeah. look at the numbers on the table. It looks like a typo. It looks like it just looks the wrong way around because this this idea of basically away goals deciding something just feels such an anathema in qualifying groups. And yes, everybody goes in knowing, I understand that. But it, there's been a lot of discussion about the relevance of away goals in particularly in Champions League and, and um, other club competitions. Um, and so to then have that as a parameter in these qualifying groups just seems a bit a bit odd. I realise you've got to find a, a way to differentiate and it's it's not like we weren't aware of it, but it just, it that, it, that really grates, that really hurts actually. I don't know what the solution is, I suppose. I, I'm personally, I don't want to uh, be a bit of a, a killjoy. I've always much preferred the head-to-head uh, rule, but I think the fact that the deciding factor then of the head-to-head is away goals, I, I've uh, I think is is frankly bizarre, and, and I've and I've always gone with uh, with the idea of if it's going to be a head-to-head record, everything else then does need to come down to goal difference, because otherwise, if you're doing it on away goals on head-to-head, it becomes almost pointless. But uh, you know, it it is what it is, and like you said, we we knew what the rules were going in. I suppose. Um, we can't complain. It did seem bizarre that we, you know, were chasing results against Norway, one of the one of the best teams around, and that was the thing that was going to qualify us or help us qualify at least. It was it was a big shame, but I mean, there are you know, I will I will start with a negative um, in that if we are going to qualify, we can argue about the we can argue the toss about the rules and this that and the other. Um, but we've got to put teams away when we can. And I think, say what you want about the, the Northern Ireland team and, and credit to them, they have got, I think, something we haven't got, and that is uh, an out-and-out goal scorer. And I was looking at the, the table and I was listening to a few things that people said, Wales got 16 goals in this campaign. It's just like, oh, bloody hell, that's, that's a lot of goals, isn't it? Also, only six of them were against teams that weren't the Faroe Islands and I and I appreciate that they still count against the Faroe Islands but I do think that six goals in in the games that matter is is a slight is is still a slightly worrying number and and I'd have to say that that's perhaps the difference because in that Northern Ireland away game when it was nil nil my god we missed some chances in that game yeah I would I would agree I think you know, we scored seven, I think, in the last World Cup qualifying games. So we've, if you take out the 10 against Norway, we scored about the same number of goals in reality. And I, I do think it it is the next, the next key step, I think, in the development. We've, we've definitely become a strong defensive side now we've now we've got to work out how we can how we can score the goals and and as you say that that's somewhat sort of killer instinct of finishing off a game when you're say two one up or or turning a nil nil into a into a, a one nil win 
Um, but I, it's obviously what they've been working on. Um, and I think that the, the increasing number of players that are involved in the top flight women's club games, club teams, um, is, is definitely starting to, to percolate through into the quality of what we can, what we can see on, on the pitch. You've only got, you know, you, there's virtually everyone now is, is playing in the, in the, uh, the women's premier. And I think that's, that can only be good for us going forward. Yeah, I I agree. I think, and, and there's a real progress that's being made, you know, and the flip side to what I, I I guess I'm saying about the goals is that there's that element of luck there. We are now starting to create those chances. Previously, we were going into games thinking, right, we're going to have one or two chances, got a score. Whereas here, we are being more on the front foot. The Norway away game is a perfect example. We had chances mm-hmm. there. Certainly in the in the home game, we also had chances as well that we should have scored. And on a different day, you talk about the luck uh, of the draw to an extent with some of the things that have happened over the course of the of the group. We should have had an absolute stonewall penalty in that game, right? You know, mm. toward the end. So you're looking at these things. Maybe I guess they. You could also argue that they had a completely legitimate goal disallowed. But let's <laughs> let's sco- scoot over that for a moment. Um, but I mean, the reality of that is is still true. Um, and you know, it's on these little moments that the the group is. Is decided, I guess, um, and I, I and I think the ultimate thing to take from this is that women's football in Wales is massively, massively, massively progressing, and we've gone from it being, you know, let's call a spade a spade, a minority sport, and I think even that could have been a, a generous term not too long ago, to now it is part of the national footballing conversation. You know, when we started doing this podcast, we weren't talking about um, women's football. We got into it quite quick, but we didn't. We weren't talking about it. The Edge Foff BBC podcast is talking about it. The players uh, are all over social media doing interviews on S4C, BBC Wales. You know, their faces are on the BBC Sport website. I remember when Jess Fishlock got her hundredth cap or broke the record, perhaps for being the most capped uh, Welsh player. She, I, we, it was when we, I was in America and I went to see a game where she played. And that was the first time I can remember seeing a, well, a Welsh women's footballer kind of on the BBC Sport website talking about her experience. And I think that has changed a lot now. And I think, yes, the England women's team is, is p- perhaps part of that. But I think we as a nation are kind of part of the Welsh women's football setup and I think that's a huge credit to to them and what they've done and regardless of you know the outcome of qualifying we all want to get there of course but that what they have done and what this group in particular have done for women's football in Wales I think is almost immeasurable oh I couldn't agree more with that <laughs> There was an uncomfortable at, pause sorry, there between I, know, I couldn't agree I was just, and more. I just to make sure that I didn't have two double <laughs> negatives going on. In, going I on couldn't in agree with sentence. you. They've been off. <laughs> <laughs> I got halfway through and thought, hang on. Hang on, is he right? He's never normally right. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. Um, yeah, I said it. I actually said it out loud. Right. <laughs> anyway, sorry, moving on. Um, <laughs> the, um, I do think that the progress that you're seeing on and off the field, the media coverage, the representation, you know, women commentating on 
the men's team and vice versa. And, you know, uh, I know Helen Ward has done some of the punditry for BBC Wales, for BBC Radio Wales, for example. Um, you know, representation, you look at what's happening. I know you you made a point about um, women referees and uh, officiating combinations and all that sort of thing. And, and obviously that French referee that um, covered the Juve game uh, about a week ago has had, you know, she's had a lot of coverage. And, and I think it is, it all is just moving in the right direction. And I think the Welsh players and the, the hierarchy at the FAW and everybody should just be incredibly proud of the part they're playing in that, because I think they're, they're genuinely playing an incredibly pivotal role in how women's sport, not just football, but women's sport is being perceived in, in Wales. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I and, and I think the fact that we've, again, you know, forcing the conversation about having access to watching the games, that's something that mm. hasn't happened, you know, probably ever before. And I appreciate, you know, we're in a new world with the internet and all that sort of, I sound like a nana. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, we are in a new world in that sense where, you know, every, you can normally watch anything you want to watch. Um, and I think that, again, that the pressure from fans, people are doing things to kind of draw attention to it. And I know Penny uh, uh, went to Belarus. I think she was the only Belar- uh, fan in Belarus, the only Wales fan in Belarus. So there are people who are doing things to draw attention to women's football as well. And I think um, it's, it's it's having a big galvanising effect. And I've mentioned this before. I know a friend of mine has never really been interested in women's football, but has, is is watching every game now. He, you know, he's bought his daughter a a, a full kit. Um, so it is having an impact. You know, it is it is changing things. And I know, as I say, we want to qualify, but I guess that there are there's also some bigger picture um, impacts uh, to all of this, which I think is is really really important to note. Um, I am assuming you haven't got anything. Oh, I did want to say sorry. I, my last question to you was. Um, you know, silly question even perhaps, but how important is it, do you think, that Helen Ward, Jess Fishlock and, and Tash Harden are staying for another campaign? I think they're vital. Um, I think the leadership that they're providing for what's obviously an increasingly younger squad, it's that's really important. And I think there's some, there's some tone setting through their professionalism, which it's important for the younger players to experience. Um, and I think it is, it's clearly so important to them still, their involvement with Cymru, that I want that to rub off. I wouldn't want to lose that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of them, a lot of that kind of, when we say older generation, they're not, you know, they're not even that old. But I think Jess Fishlock in particular I think she showed in that Belarus game what she's really capable of. I thought she was outstanding. She looked like she's got a fitness and a sharpness back. I thought I thought she was everywhere. I thought she was the best player on the pitch by a mile. And when you're reminded of what these sort of players are capable of, you, you'd never want to lose them. And, you know, Tash Harding's work great and she's, her ability to sniff out a goal. And I know Helen Ward has obviously not played as much as she probably would have liked recently. She's in a difficult position in terms of Watford and what she can do and play at the moment COVID-wise. So I know there's a lot going on there. But even if these people aren't playing, I think, just to have their presence around the squad, the their importance to the squad, their importance to the country, the the outward perception that people see when they see these players. I, I just think they're so important. And even if they didn't 
get a minute, which I don't think would happen, of course. But even if they didn't get a minute between them in that campaign, uh, upcoming campaign, I, I still think their involvement would be vital either way. Um, lastly, we said we would do a quick roundup of the Welsh clubs uh, who are playing in the Indi- English league, as I always uh, as I always caveat that by saying. Um, I think it's it's really interesting to see how Cardiff City's season has ch- turned around in the last few weeks. I know they're I know they're playing Stoke tonight, so uh, when we're recording this, this may not uh, obviously we won't have the result for that. But it is it's quite remarkable, in fact. I think how they've they've turned around in the last few weeks. Yeah, no, the um, for example that good away win they had against Watford, who've been playing very well was was a manifestation of that wasn't it and it was nice to see a little crowd there yeah <laughs> there's a there's a whole uh a whole nother issue about crowds in wales that uh, we might come back to in a, in a later pod i think um but no i think you can't can't say anything about how well cardiff have kind of you know pulled their socks up and and turned what was quickly sliding into quite a disappointing season into into uh, a much better one, and you know they've they're creeping up the table. They're just yeah, they're clearly improving. And all whilst Kiefer Moore is is scoring goals, which is which is great, <laughs> which is great for everyone. Um, it looks like Harry Harris is for the time being at least kind of kept concerns about his job um, to one side, which I think is important. I think it would have been you know I obviously don't watch Cardiff. Um, very often, but I, I I do think that he has done a good job. I think what he did at the end of the last season can't be forgotten. And yes, he's obviously had a bit of a blip at the start of this season, but it, that I think it would be harsh on him to to lose his job after after what he did last year. And you know they're not far off the playoffs. Let's not forget this is a a long old season in the championship. There's still a hell of a lot of games to play. And moreover, there's the the South Wales derby to come. So that will uh, I'm sure that will be on the forefront of everyone's mind and you know you never know there you win that game you it's a big swing against Swansea who are in fourth in the league you know everything kind of everything kind of bunches up and gets a little bit closer um obviously to mention the Swans there I said they are fourth in the league playing well from what I've seen if not slightly pragmatically at times um Andrea is really looking like their their key man though isn't he he is he is I think it's just an indication of of the competitiveness of that league, isn't it? Genuinely, any team can take on any other team. And on on a given Saturday, they'll get a win. I think it's something like only four or five points separating the top eight or nine teams in in the division at the minute. Um, They they bounce back um, with a good win against Luton after that defeat away in in Middlesbrough. So, you know, they... The kind of um, it's interesting. There's no there's no overly consistent team in that league. I, I mean, I'm not sure we're going to get a runaway leader as we've seen in some in some years. Uh, but it's so competitive and such entertaining football. Agree with you. Ayu is obviously key. Um, from from a Welsh perspective, it's perspective. It's great to see Connor Roberts back at the at the top of his game. Um, I think it would have been quite easy for him to get a bit demoralized um with nico kind of tapping on the shoulder when he he hasn't actually done anything wrong really isn't so um uh, it's really pleasing to see him doing doing so well and even knocking the occasional goal in 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, his header the other day against Sami Amiobi, yeah. who, uh, as I know as a, as a Newcastle fan, is not very good at football, but is at least 12 <laughs> foot tall. Um, it was an incredible leap to beat him in the air. I, I would maybe slightly disagree with you about the, the runaway winners. I don't think there will be like a runaway winner, but I do think there will be two teams... You know, looking at the way that Bournemouth have started to pick up and play now, I, I do think that they'll be they'll be up there for sure. Um, I think Swansea's most impressive thing for me is that the rate they keep selling their best players, but it not massively seeming to affect them, um, which is remarkable, really. And I do, I do, as a consequence of their thin squad, I feel like that look, if that's what you can call it, is kind of is going to run out at some point. And I just wonder if a an injury to a key player to an Andre Ayew, let's say, would kind of derail their season as a consequence. And I think that's the, that's a fear, isn't it? Are they, but they seem to manage. I mean, you you know, you use lose Joe Rodden, and they've if anything, they've looked more solid at the back since since he departed for Spurs. So um, I think you keep having that fear that the squad size and depth is going to come, going to trip them up. And then somehow they get through that. So hopefully that's the pattern that will continue. Absolutely. I mean, my final statistic I was going to use there was that they have not, uh, since they lost to Newport in the FL Cup, they've lost three times since then this season, only once at home. Um, I said that so that I could have a segue to talk about Newport, which as always (laughs) is seamless here on the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. Um, the word I have written down in my notes here for a bit for Newport is outstanding. Um, <laughs> I think they've got they've had a remarkable record. They're one point clear. They've got a game in hand. They've lost twice in the league all season. Um, it, I mean, I, every time we say something positive about Newport, <laughs> something seems to go wrong. I, I hope we're not a jinx, but I, I, we're all thinking the same thing, aren't we? I think we're all hoping the same thing, but let's not say it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, no, they've 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 clearly been playing some excellent football, it's, it's, and it's not even just um, your typical kind of Division Two heavy football, as it were. They've actually been playing some lovely football as well, which I think they should they should be commended for. I think there's two things for me there. I, I think that, that, like you said, there the football they play, I think, is 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 very good on the eye, very easy on the eye. They're scoring goals from all over, all different types of goals as a consequence of that, which I think is really impressive. You know, they're nicking goals in late wins. They're being they're being tight at the back. Um, the big thing for me, though, I think, is Mike Flynn. I think you know he was getting a lot of stick toward the end of, of last season. They obviously went on a bit of a bad run. Not only has he turned it around, they've they've been outstanding since. So I think he deserves um, a lot of credit for not just the way they're playing, but the players he's brought in and and everything that is happening as a consequence of that. I think he's just done a fantastic job. Yeah, uh, yeah, I have to agree. I think there was quite a lot of pressure on him over over the summer and going into the start of uh, this season. And I think he's made some brave decisions. And I think he should be commended for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on to another brave decision, seamlessly, um, <laughs> was, of course, um, the decision by Ryan Reynolds and uh, Rob McKelney to buy Wrexham. Since that has kind of happened and started to go through, the Wrexham results have, I don't want to say gone through the roof, because that's a bit extreme, but the the variety in results they had from before this happened to, to now is is remarkable, really. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're mid-table now, which is 
I suppose overall there's an improvement compared to the very start of the season, but their 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 results are a bit up and down. There have been some excellent performances. They they're kind of following that adage of beating the teams that are around them. Like they recently had wins over Altrincham and, and Aldershot, who are a couple of other mid-table teams. Um, and then they, they've also lost to Sutton and Torquay, who are starting to look like the two class teams of the division, really, to be honest. So I think that it's a positive if they can keep taking points off the teams around them and sort of, sort of build slowly up, up the table. But it, it's already looking like a consolidating season really isn't it and perhaps hope to to snatch a playoff place um if there's some momentum in the new year yeah i agree i did a slight tweak there on what you said it, they they lost to altrincham but beat sutton just to just oh did i have those the wrong way around you sorry did. and I, I someone someone will shout at me on twitter otherwise um <laughs> so yeah no i agree i think that looking at the results they are so up and down that you know a a run of wins then a couple of defeats then they're back on the wins I think you know they're not too many draws knocking around like you said they drew with Bromley but you know it's it's really it's really really interesting I think to to look at what has changed there and you've got to wonder what is happening there with the players and the manager and it must be such a weird circumstance I I agree you know nicking a playoff place is probably the the highest target at the moment although I'd be surprised if that happens just looking yeah. at their inconsistencies I think like you said, a consolidation season here, and then looking forward to to what the the relative riches of of uh, of of the new buyers can bring. I think that's obviously going to be the key thing. I know that they have talked about investing at around about two million. So I think you know that by national league standards is a is a huge vast amount of money. So hopefully maybe things might pick up in January maybe they might pick up some new players in January and obviously you'd imagine that there's going to be a, a lot of change in the summer ahead of ahead of next season yeah I think well uh, it, it's difficult to see because everything's being done at this weird distance I'm, I'm sh there's there's clearly impacts that we're seeing at the sort of community level. I think some of the outreach that the new owners have been doing is is great, um, and it will be interesting to see how that is manifest more sort of explicitly at the club level as as the business side of things starts to to get more embedded and it's more sort of focused on the football as opposed to focused on the community side of, of Wrexham. Uh, so I think there's it's interesting times ahead, I think. That's that's all you can say at the minute. I agree. And uh, the fact they've bought, is it Peter Moore, is that his name? The the guy who used to be the uh, the chief exec at Liverpool. The fact that they've brought mm -hmm. him in says a lot about what they're doing. And I agree the outreach stuff is great. Sending gin to people, all of that stuff, you know, look great on the internet. It's, it's a good headline, but... I think it's got to mean something on the football pitch at the end of the day. And I think the fact that, you know, the people they're bringing in are big hitters, really. I think that says a lot about their intent and their aims. Um, so hopefully this, this leads to good things for Wrexham. Um, I think that is the end of our podcast. I, I don't <laughs> think we've got anything else to add. I'm, I'm proudly saying that quickly, muttering it quickly as we're, we're less than an hour. This never happens. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go, ladies and gents. That is it for this week. We've kept it under an hour, which is, um, you know, uh, certainly a trophy for us. 
thank you very much for listening we look forward to uh speaking with you soon obviously we've got a few things hopefully lined up between now and the the next wales game which is not until march hopefully a few good interviews coming up and we'll be doing our best to keep up with any changes or developments in welsh football um the ryan Giggs case the 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 club level and obviously as ruth previously mentioned talking about whether fans can come back to welsh football ground soon so keep an eye out for all of those things thank you for listening thank you for your time ruth you're welcome. So say bye bye. Say bye bye. Like we always laugh that Ruth sounds like a five year old when she says bye bye at the end. So I'm trying to include a f- bye bye in a full sentence for her so that so that she doesn't sound like a toddler. Anyway, <laughs> I might edit that out. I might this is I've made myself no, laugh. You won't. I won't. Yeah, I've made myself laugh. So that's all that matters. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time, Ruth. Bye bye. Bye bye. There you go. Have a good night. Bye bye. <laughs>